Welcome to University of Iowa Insights, a monthly audio magazine featuring interviews with some of the world's leading thinkers, researchers, and teachers. In this, the May 2009 edition of our program, Ann Kapler will interview University of Iowa sociologist Christine Whelan about her new study on what men and women want in a partner. Then Christopher Clare will talk to Scott King of the Office of International Students and Scholars about the university's efforts to recruit Iraqi students. And Tom Snee will interview Jeff Schott of the university's Institute of Public Affairs on how local governments can react to the economic recession. Christine Whelan. I'm a visiting assistant professor in the sociology department at the University of Iowa and the author of Mary Smart, The Intelligent Woman's Guide to True Love. Dr. Whelan worked with Christy Boxer to conduct and analyze a survey of more than 1,100 undergraduate students about what they want in a partner. So what did men and women say were the most desirable qualities in a mate? Well, since the 1930s, men and women have been looking for someone who they find dependable emotionally stable and somebody who is going to sort of meet those those basic needs of support and dependability but all sorts of other things have changed over that period so the way we measured what men and women are looking for in a partner we gave them 18 characteristics and asked them to put a zero if it was not important at all or a three if it was absolutely essential and then what we did was we averaged out those numbers over various different universities. We looked at the University of Iowa, the University of Washington, the University of Virginia, and at Penn State University, so four diverse universities nationwide. We averaged it out and we found that really times have changed since the 1930s. What kind of things did you find have changed? So in the 1930s, when men and women were asked what they wanted in a partner, love wasn't number one. It wasn't number two, it wasn't number three, and for women it wasn't even number four in terms of what they were looking for in a man. So things like a dependable character and emotional stability, pleasing disposition, these things all outranked love. But starting in the 1960s and 70s, love really started kicking up in the ranks, and unsurprisingly, young adults now say love and mutual attraction is first and foremost the most important thing that they're looking for in a spouse. What kind of things were at the bottom of their list? <laughs> at the bottom of the list um, are things like chastity, the shared political interests. Those were the two that have been sort of wrestling for last place over the last couple decades. And now chastity really has sunk to 18 out of 18. In fact, when I was handing out the survey at the University of Iowa, several young women were sort of laughing at the idea that I even included chastity on this survey. And the reason why we did, of course, was in addition to the fact that it's a very interesting variable to chart, is because this survey is the exact replica of the survey that sociologists uh, and evolutionary psychologists have been giving since the 1930s to track mate preferences. So these are 18 characteristics that we can sort of see historically changing over time. And the fact that chastity is something that might even cause people to giggle, that it is so unimportant, that's really telling. It sounds like overall men and women's values were about the same. Where did their priorities differ? So both men and women are looking for a partner who is going to be intelligent and someone who is going to share the financial burdens, especially during these difficult economic times. But interestingly enough, the conventional wisdom is that men tend to be intimidated by a woman who is smart or a woman who earns a good salary. These surveys and many, many other nationwide surveys just don't bear that out at all. In 1939, men ranked in 
intelligence as 11 out of 18, so fairly low down on the list of what they were looking for in a woman. Now it's up at number four. Education intelligence is in the top five in terms of what men are looking for in a woman. This should shatter the myth that men don't make passes at girls who wear glasses. The good financial prospect variable, that was number 17 out of 18 in the 1930s for what men were looking for in a woman. But now, you know, it's nearly in the top 10. So the idea that men are increasingly interested in a smart woman who can share the financial burdens, this is a really big change. So what do these findings mean for singles who are looking for love right now? Well, I think especially for the young women, they shouldn't downplay their success. The idea that, uh, that men are going to be intimidated is just a thing of the past. So if, you are, um, if you're a smart cookie, show it. If you're doing well at your job, certainly don't downplay that. But still, singles are, are looking for someone who they're attracted to, someone who they love. All of these really solid ideas like dependable character and emotional stability and maturity these things have been increasingly and consistently important over the decades. Thank you for taking the time to talk with us, Dr. Whelan. If you'd like to learn more about this subject, you can visit her website at www.readmarysmart.com. I'm Scott King. I'm director of the Office of International Students and Scholars at the University of Iowa. I went to Iraq earlier this semester because the University of Iowa is interested in recruiting Iraqi students. The University of Iowa has traditionally promoted diversity. Can you explain why the university is now extending a special invitation to students from Iraq? Back in November, we were one of probably around 50 to 60 U.S. schools that were contacted about a new initiative that the Iraqi government is putting together. They're planning on sending 50,000 students to the United States over the next five years for study, uh, trying to rebuild their economy, rebuild their social structure. And we were invited to come to a symposium that was held in, first in Baghdad and then a second in uh, Suleimania in the Kurdish region. We were on, one of only 21 institutions that actually sent someone to the symposium. And we're very proud we're the only Big Ten school that was present. What do you believe the Iraqi students will gain from coming here? And how will the university community benefit from having them here? Of course, the Iraqi students are going to gain from just getting a degree that they may not be able to receive at home. All students who come here, and I think this is going to be particularly relevant for the students in Iraq, they're going to learn a little more about our beliefs, our culture, our government structure, how this all fits together, how a democratic society works in the United States. You know, they, those sorts of values... They can keep back, hopefully, and adapt so that they have a country that has stable social and governmental institutions. As far as our UI students, uh, we're hoping all the international students we bring in here help open the eyes of our Iowa students to the rest of the world. Engaging these students in the classroom, in the residence halls, organizations are just even on campus should help our U.S. students learn a little bit more about another culture, another way of life, and give them the intercultural skills that are needed in today's workforce. How were you received during your trip? Received like top VIPs. We were actually invited and hosted by the Prime Minister himself. So how will the university continue to reach out to Iraqi students and... How will you welcome them once they get here? One 
interesting development, I, and I think this speaks very highly of this institution, is when I got back, I contacted our veterans office here because we have Iraqi veterans. And in my own background, I can remember when we had students from Vietnam come and how it impacted some Vietnam veterans on our campus who I, I, it brought back memories that some of them just still had not dealt with. And I was concerned that it might be the same for our Iraqi veterans here, so I contacted and said, we're involved in this program. The Veterans Office wants to partner with us to link the students that are interested with the veterans that are interested for programs, partnership, adjustment. We're not quite sure what, but uh, there is a feeling that a lot of our veterans feel they, this might complete the work they started to do when they did their service there. Jeff Schott, director of the university's Institute of Public Affairs, talks about this year's conference theme, Managing Under Pressure. When we uh, developed the theme, it was uh, shortly after the uh, June floods, we were thinking more in terms of uh, the pressures from natural disasters. But of course, since the economic freefall, the pressures on city managers, city administrators has become even more critical. And so the uh, conference is dealing with a whole range of pressures that city managers have to deal with. What can city governments do to deal with the downturn? Uh, it's very clear that uh, cities are going to have very significant budgetary constraints. So the issue is dealing with those budgetary issues while the demands for city services remains uh, constant or in some cases intensifies as the needs of the community increase. So really making those uh, types of strategic budgeting decisions, making determinations as to where certain uh, reductions in service may have to come without significantly impacting the ability of the community to continue to provide the necessary services. How will the federal stimulus plan help? Well, that will certainly help, but of course the federal stimulus plan is going to be providing funding for capital projects, and the big issues that local governments have to deal with is the impact on operating budgets. How can municipalities continue to develop their local economies in such a difficult national economy? Well, the need to continue to promote economic development becomes even more important in these times. Not only trying to attract uh, new businesses from outside the community, but working with uh, existing business to try to at least stabilize what uh, their workforce and, if possible, trying to help them uh, expand will be very, very critical. Most local governments, most cities are very dependent on the property tax for, as a revenue source. And if a, a business decides to eliminate a location, a facility in a community, that can have very significant impacts. This podcast was produced by the University of Iowa Office of University Relations. For more information on our podcasts or to subscribe, visit us at news.uiowa.edu.